continuing our thought that we started last week. And I'm actually going to get to the text this morning. I'm hoping to do that, and I'm confident I will. Um, and uh, I, I think you're going to be encouraged. And so let's get straight into the word together. We're going to pick up again uh, uh, from, I'm going to quickly give us a, a brief overview to lay the groundwork again for what we're going to get into this morning in Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to pick up from verse 19. Uh, we go again. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have great a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly, Chloe, to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together. Joanna, we miss you. And Ariana, I just can't wait to see your faces again. I miss you all. But let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. I love that we have an encouraging church that is filled with people who are who really have the gift of encouragement. I just love Pastor Tim, Timothy Mays. I think you're a gift to our church and I'm so grateful you're in our lives. And I just, you, you know, you're not a man of many words. Um, that's not saying much. You're not a man of many words, but I love this. I tell you what, your presence is a gift to us as a church. Your spirit is a gift to us as a church. There's something about seeing you walk through our doors every Sunday morning that lifts me up, that encourages me, that puts strength in my bones. That uh, there's just there's a, there's a gift on your life to, to really be an encouragement, not to just our body, but to me personally. And I'm thankful for you and your precious bride, the Queen, Miss Brittany. But let us uh, continue to encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. As I discussed last week, we're gonna we're gonna save verse 26 to verse 31 for a different time. I want to preach that on its own on a different day. But it picks up in verse 32 and it says this, Remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you endured in a great conflict of full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation even of your own property. Because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence, Miss Valerie. Do not throw away your confidence, uh, Toria. Do not throw away your confidence, Emily. Do not throw away your confidence, Irie. That could go to the list, Charles and Caleb. I just love our church. I love all of you so much. But do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, Demetrius, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. Kristin, I'm going to say it again for you. He who is coming will come and not delay. Our God is never late. He's never early, but he's never late. He's always on time. And if it doesn't come through in our own timing, we persevere. We remain steadfast. Why? Because he who promised is faithful. And God, if he cares for the sparrows and the birds and of the sky, he will care for us and meet our needs. Let tomorrow worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow, though it comes with its own troubles, will come with its own grace and come with its own provision. There has never been a day where God has not come through. There has never been a day that God has left us nor forsaken us. And he will not start now. 
The well has never run dry. It is always flowing to overflowing. That is the God that we serve. So do not lose your confidence. Do not lose your faith because him who is coming will surely come and will not delay. And it continues and says this, but my righteous one will live by faith and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. I love this, Rosie. We do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but we belong to those who have faith and are saved. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance in what we do not yet see. What a great passage. What an encouraged passage. I mean, just that passage alone, it's understandable. Give me some measure of grace. It's understandable why we didn't get through the word last week. There is just so much in there. I could preach each of those verses individually and it could be a whole message in and of itself. But this morning, I'm going to pray that I can get back to that text to really give you the the meat of what I didn't get to last week. But let's pray together real quick as we gather. In fact, we're gathered in homes and we're launching our Sozo groups this weekend. So I think there's nothing more powerful. I know some of you, this will be a little bit weird. Some of you, you're, you're stoked. You know, you're sitting next to your betrothed and you can't wait to hold hands. But let's hold hands. Let's hold hands together right where we are. I know many of us are crowded on living rooms right now and dinner ta- uh, dinner, dining tables. But find the nearest hand. Make sure no one's un- left untouched. Grab each other's hands. Let's pray together as a community because we're in this thing together. We might be in different places, uh, separated by you know, distance, but I love that we're together in spirit and faith. But let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful to be called your church, to be called your people, and to be able to call you our Lord and our God. And Lord, I'm so grateful this morning that we get to gather around your word again. I pray for our hearts. I pray, Lord, that you would soften them by the power of your spirit, that we're able to receive your word and allow it to, uh, to do in our lives, in our minds, in our hearts, and our souls, that which you wish for it to accomplish. And I thank you, Lord, that, you know, regardless of what we came into, wherever we're watching this message from today, however we showed up this morning, that your word and your presence and your grace and your love and your mercy goes with us and is faithful to bring healing, to bring a freshness, to bring a refreshing, to bring a wholeness, to bring whatever it is that we, des- that we need, that your word can water those specific, specific parts of our hearts and bring true freedom and bring this wonderful light who is Jesus into the very midst of every part of our lives. And so we are, again, so grateful. And uh, we thank you in advance for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. So last week, I opened up with this passage. And uh, we somehow got caught up talking about stumbling blocks, how Christ crucified had become a stumbling block for the Jews. And talked a little bit about stumbling blocks and gave us a little bit of empathy to understand and walk into the shoes of our Jewish brothers and sisters as they heard of Christ being crucified. But one of the parallels I made, if you happen to miss this message, I'm not going to go into it in detail. I would encourage you to go back onto our YouTube channel and watch that or it's on our sozo.city website. Um, But go back and watch that in our latest messages library um, and, and get the spirit of what I was talking about last week. But I made the parallel that the stumbling block for the Jews was Christ crucified. But I have found that the stumbling block for us as believers today, and I believe has been the case for many, many centuries, is that uh, as for us, I believe the stumbling block is not Christ crucified. In fact, that's a gift to us. That brings us victory. But I have found at times that the stumbling block for us is that our faith is not one that does not come without great cost. 
And I think I might have got carried away on this one. But I felt like God had a point to prove that God was up to something as we were diving into this word last week. But we never quite got past talking about how, you know, our faith is one that costs us something. In this beautiful passage that David goes, oh, I refuse to bring to my God that which costs me nothing because I understand what it cost him for me to walk into freedom. And I mean, I, give me some grace. How do you not preach that all morning? How do you not talk about that for hours on end? We have everything we have in this life because of the price he paid for us. He gave up his divine privileges to become a man, to die on a cross that you and I might have life. It's the good news. I couldn't help myself, but today I'm practicing restraint. I'm going to try and table myself. I almost tried to sit to preach this message today just to kind of keep me on track, um, but I just can't do it. I just said this word is brewing like a fire in my bones and I could not wait to preach it all week. And I pray it blesses you. But anyway, I talked about the cost. I talked about the cost of, of, of our faith. And really all that last week was a setup that leads us into this passage in Hebrews that we're reading. It is the backdrop. This actually, this idea of the cost of our faith is the backdrop upon which the sermon to Hebrews was written and preached. Uh, to give you some context, this sermon of Hebrews, I call it the sermon of Hebrews because it wasn't just a letter written. It was actually a sermon that would have been communicated to the believers at the time. Now, this letter, this sermon was addressing Jewish Christians who were living in Rome. Uh, in fact, I think some scholars write that these believers, these Jewish Christians, were actually meeting in house churches, much like we're doing today and we will do again next week, sozo groups, meeting in homes. But these were in Rome and they're meeting in house churches. And it's again, it's, it's people who were once Jewish and had converted from Judaism as they heard the gospel and the good news of Jesus and convert from Judaism to Christianity as they heard the good news. But what has happened is that as they've converted to Christianity, these Jewish Christians, they now, since having converted to Christianity, have found themselves despondent. They've found themselves discouraged. They've found themselves almost defeated. Much of what we discussed last week, um, which can happen when, you, when everything you planned for, everything you've dreamed of, everything you believe for, everything that you had seen in your mind's eye, the things that you'd hoped for and yearned for for a long time finally come to pass. They don't look the way you imagined they would. This is literally happening to these Jewish Christians because they've given their lives to Jesus. They've turned away from everything they've known. They've given up their, their religion, their traditions, their way of living and their way of life, the way they knew things, the way they dreamed of living, the, the way they, uh, that their families had lived to follow Jesus and to become people of the way. And they have found that as they've converted to Christianity, it has not come with this amazing blessing. It has not come with this measure of ease. They have now begun to realize that there is a great cost to following Jesus. In fact, it is so hard for them that because since following Jesus, they've been persecuted. They are suffering. They've been abused. They've been ridiculed. They've been mocked. Many have lost family members. Many have lost crucial friendships. Many have lost employment. Many have lost their status in society. Many have lost their stature. Many have lost things of great value. Many have had their possessions taken from them. Many have had their freedoms taken from them as they found themselves in prison simply because they've converted to Christianity. And they find themselves in this position where they are now defeated, despondent and discouraged because they're going, wait a minute, I gave my life to Jesus and my life is still a mess. In fact, it feels like it hasn't gotten better. It's only gotten worse. And many of these believers have gotten to a point where they've gone, 
And I began to ask himself this one big question, which is really what I was laying the groundwork for last week. They begin to ask himself this question. Is following Jesus really worth the cost? Is it really worth the cost? And I forgot to give you the title for this message this morning. It is a continuation last week. I said what I said. I said what I said. And it'll make sense later in the back end of this message. But they begin to ask this crucial question. I know many of us, you know, who are, oh, holier than thou and mighty and righteous are sitting there going, how could they ask such a question? But I believe if we're honest with ourselves, if we take a moment just to consider the, the, the trajectory of our lives, our past, and perhaps even just our present for many of us, or even for some of us, there are still things we're waiting for and believing for. I don't believe it's a question that many believers who really have walked through any measure of fire or really been a believer for any amount of time haven't begun to ask themselves. And in fact, I would go as far as this. If you've not ever asked yourself the question, is the cost of following Jesus really worth it? There's one of two things. Either you've never actually had to count the cost of what it means to follow Jesus, or you're not following Jesus at all. Because my friends, let me tell you what, and it, has, it says this in Hebrews, unless our faith is tested, unless our faith goes through fire, how then shall we know that it is a legit fire, a legit faith? How then do we know its authenticity? The faith, like gold, needs to be gone through fire, needs to be uh, pressed and shaken and, and, and hard pressed for it to be proven genuine. And I believe all of us who, now, who know the Lord and have had to walk with him for a measure of time, all of us at some point have asked ourselves this crucial question, is it really worth the cost? Because if you lived a truly devoted life of following Jesus, at some point along the way, you've had to make some sacrifices. At some point along the way, you've had to make some tough choices. At some point along the way, you've had to let some things go. You've had to give up on some dreams. You've had to give up on some things that you wanted to do in your heart. You've had to give up on some preferences. You've had to give up on some things that you really held dear. You've had to give up uh, for many of you homes. Some of you had to give up financial security. Some of you had to give up all kinds of things because this is the nature of following Jesus. It is a journey. It is a life of dying to the flesh and living according to the spirit. To live is unto Christ and to die is gain. It is only to, to die is only gain if we are truly living in the spirit and are truly seeing things through an eternal landscape. Because let me tell you something, unless we can get good at seeing the world and seeing our lives through the world, through the lens of eternity, let me tell you what, then when you start to look through the lens of the temporal, through the lens of what is happening in front of you right now, it will crush you, it will kill you, and you will find yourself in the very same place that these Jewish Christians in Rome had found themselves in the beginning to question, have I made the right decision? Have I, is it really worth the cost? And this is what the author of Hebrews begins to write and begins to pen the greatest sermon ever put together. In fact, he spends nine of the 13 chapters of Hebrews encouraging them on this one big idea that you have not uh, made a wrong decision, that you have not chosen incorrectly, that you have not been in error, that you have not led yourself astray or your family astray or your husband or wife astray. You have done well in choosing Jesus because Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater than the angels. Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus is greater than the old covenant. Everything we find in Christ is greater than everything that came before him. And he encourages them for nine chapters to cast their minds on who Jesus is, 
to cast their minds on what he's accomplished, to cast their minds on all that he has done for them through the cross and through his death and resurrection. And I want to encourage some of you this morning. I believe this is for somebody. And I'm not going to stay here too long because I want to get into the full richness of this text. But my God, some of you ought to lift your eyes. Take a moment and lift your eyes into the hills and recognize where your help comes from. I think some of you are living defeated. Some of you show up to church. You sing the songs. You prayed the prayers, you played the part, you serve some of you, you give some of you. But if you're really honest in the depths of your heart, there are some things in you that you've begun to, you've let die, you've let kind of get, uh, come under the pressure. And I don't even know where I started this thought. Uh, I've lost my train of thought, there's just so much going in here. But let me tell you this, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. You are living defeated because your eyes have gone down. Your eyes have become focused on that which doesn't make sense. Your eyes have become consumed by the challenge, consumed by the hardship, consumed by the disappointment, consumed by the day. A little, I touched on some of this last week. Your eyes, your eyes are the window of, I've heard it said, I don't know if it's biblical, but your eyes are the window to your soul. Your eyes, I believe, are that which guides you in many ways because your eyes is what lets in and what you see through your eyes gets into your mind and there's nothing you do there is no word that you've ever spoken there is no act you've ever done that did not first begin as a thought so it matters what you see it matters what you let through your eyes because what you let through your eyes will infiltrate your mind and infiltrate your heart and that's what produces fruit and comes out of you so again I want to encourage some of you it's time to lift your eyes it's time to take your eyes off of counting the horses and chariots of our proverbial enemies. It's time to lift your eyes and begin to recount the promises of God and recount the faithfulness of God. It's time to lift your eyes. It's time, you know, sometimes I've never understood why when we pray, we close our eyes and bow our heads. God doesn't care about the top of your head. It's, I think some of you, as you prayed this week and as you pray today, lift your face, lift your eyes to remind yourself that we are eternal beings who serve a eternal God. And this period of your life is not the whole story, but there is a vast and grand and great God who is the author and the perfecter and the finisher of your faith. Quit living defeated because your eyes are looking downward and looking inward. It's time to lift your eyes and look outward to the God who is faithful. Anyway, I don't know how I got there. God, I gotta get back to the scripture. But anyway, they are despondent and discouraged. And he begins to write to them and tells them that Jesus is greater. He, he forces them and he reminds them for nine chapters out of 13 about the magnitude, about the supremacy and the greatness of our God. Man, I would encourage you, if you have the time, and I pray you do, that you, and you prioritize Bible reading, you prioritize time alone in the scriptures to allow the scriptures to edify your soul and to edify your spirit. But if you can, I would encourage you to read Hebrews from chapter one all the way through the end and get it in you. It'll allow you again to lift your eyes again and remember that you have done right and you have chosen well and you have made a great decision in putting your faith, in putting your trust, in putting your future, in putting your security in the person of Jesus because there is no one like him. He, When you weigh him against anything else, he outweighs them all. He is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and the Prince of Peace. That is the God that we serve, the bright and morning star, the beginning and the end, Alpha and Omega. He is supreme in the beginning and supreme in the end. He knows all things 
and he is in all and he works through all in Jesus' name. You have done well in putting your faith in Jesus. So this is what he does. He lays this great groundwork to encourage them. Hey, I know it's been tough. I know it's been hard. I know you've had to endure, but our Lord endured too. And if, and if he had to endure, and if he was persecuted, what makes us think that we won't? But he encourages them and he allows them to again, he stirs their faith by reminding them of what Christ has done through the finished work of the cross. And I love this thought. I've read this a couple years ago and it stuck with me ever since. There is nothing that is outside of the reach of the finished work of the cross. And this is why it is the greatest sermon I've ever heard preached, Hebrews, because he systematically goes through the entirety of the life of Jesus and what his sacrifice and what his lordship over our lives truly means for us and why I will never again turn away. I will never turn my back on him. I will never look to anything else because my God, what I have found in him is so great. In fact, I think I might live in Hebrews for the next couple months because there is so much in there that is a great encouragement to us as believers in again, stealing our convictions, stirring our foundations, anchoring our souls in hope because we remind ourselves of what we have found in him. And we again are reminded that nothing is outside of the purview of the finished work of the cross. If you believe that, can you say amen? And this is where we get into chapter 10. And chapter 10 is a brief moment where he begins to get practical as he teaches us and reminds us of the tools that are at our disposal and the, and the principles and practices we ought to prioritize, listen to that, the principles and the practices that we ought to prioritize that can help us become those who do not shrink back but continue to persevere in faith. And here it is again. Let's go through it a little bit slowly. He says this, first of all, point number one. Yes, I'm going to give you points today because I think points help me stay on track. Point number one, he says this, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings. Number one, we have to keep drawing near to God. I'll say it again. Number one, draw near to God. I think this is so important. And I love that it says this, draw near to God with a sincere heart. I love that they put the heart in there. Because there's this passage I think many of us know. It says this, many of you would call unto me with your mouth and say, Lord, Lord, but your hearts are far from me. And I just, when I read that, draw near to God with sincere hearts. I'll come back to the draw near to God part. But I want to zone in on this idea of a sincere heart. I love that he puts it in there because I want it's a reminder. It's not just about drawing near to God in terms of showing up to church on a Sunday or showing up to prayer meeting on a Saturday morning or wherever it is or showing up to small group or sozo groups middle, middle of the week. It's really about where's your heart at? Because where your heart is, there your treasure is too. In fact, there's so many scriptures. In fact, I might do a series next. I'm not big a, a big series guy because part of the challenge is I can barely finish one message. Imagine if I try to do a whole series. It'd be a hot mess. We'd be here all year. 
But the benefit is it's playing a long game. We're here for the next 40, 50 years. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was at a church in Indiana that's been around for 100 years. That's my prayer for Sosa City Church, that it would be a church that would outlive all of us and become a church for the generations. Upon generations, a church that cannot be ignored, a church that has a stake in this city and is truly life-giving to all people for generations upon generations. And so, you know what? I might do a series because who cares? I'm here for the next 50 years anyway. And hopefully I can finish a series in 50 years. If I don't, I have a problem more than just my speaking abilities. But anyway, let's get back to the point. I'm, I'm going to get checked out. I think I have like a, like a concentration problem. Who knows? Anyway, but there are so many passages in the Bible that talk about the heart. In fact, one of my favorites is it's guard your heart with all diligence because from the heart flows all things. Guard your heart with all diligence for from the heart flows all things. Your heart is crucial. Where is your heart at? It's become a question I begin to ask a lot of people. Whenever I meet somebody and I feel like, you know, I'm not a, I'm never, I've never been a good small talker. Uh, I'm, I'm actually very bad at small talk and I love just getting straight to the point. If I meet somebody and I, I kind of hear that they're going through a bit of a hard time, I'll always pray for them. I'll always encourage them. But I always ask the question, how's your heart? And even if they're not going through a hard place, even people who, you know, on the exterior, they, they, their hearts are, they, they look, they look like everything's gone well. They're smiling, they're high-fiving, they're dancing, they look happy. But I never not ask the question, how's your heart? Because I think many of us, we know how to play the game. We know how to put on the show. There's this, there's this phrase I, 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 you hear in show business that has somehow made its way into church. And I want to kill it in our church and I want to kill it in the church. The show must go on. Nothing about this is a show. This is real life. And real life comes with ups and downs and real life comes with challenges. And I want to ask you this question. How is your heart? The show must not go on. You need to tend to your heart because if you don't tend to your heart, It'll, it'll pollute the very thing that produces life out of you. And if your heart is polluted, if your heart is discouraged, if your heart is defeated, then guess what will come out of you? Bitterness, offense, unbelief, and all kinds of foolishness and all kinds of things that only produce death in your life. And so again, I ask you the question this morning, church, how's your heart? Have you looked after your heart? Have you tended to the garden of your heart? Because your heart matters. And, and, and I... I uh, I remember reading this quote by Charles Bridges. I wrote it here just for the sake of memory because I didn't want to get it wrong, but it says this. If the citadel is taken, the whole town must surrender. So too, if the heart is captured, then the whole man, his affections, his desires, motives, pursuit, vision will be handed over. I'll say it again. If the citadel is taken, then the whole town must surrender. So too it, was with, it is with the heart, that if the heart is captured, the whole man, his affections, his desires, his visions, his pursuits are all handed over. There is something so crucial about our hearts. And this is why I believe that it is so important for us to not just get caught up in rituals and traditions, I have no issues with religion. In fact, I think we need a little more religion in our faith right now because there's a devoutness missing. There's a, there's a devotion missing because there's something about religion, the power of religion that keeps you coming back, that creates a measure of discipline because discipline creates habits and habits create a way of living and a way of living begins to bear fruit. And again, I believe so many of us lack the fruit that we ought to produce as believers because we lack the discipline that come from religion. 
So don't get me wrong in that we need to prioritize some religious activity in our lives, but not at the expense of your heart. I think sometimes religion can fall in the trap of this whole idea of, well, the show must go on. I want to encourage us because I think it's so important. I never ever want to see any of you get to a point where you walk into the doors of our church and you sing the songs and you lift the hands and you high five people with a smile on your face and you hold your spouse's hand like everything's fine, but your hearts are far from the Lord. I pray we are the kind of people who have learned what it is to tend to our hearts. And one of the greatest ways we can tend to our hearts is to continue to draw near to God. So when we draw near to God, what does it look like to draw near to God? I, I touched on it last week. We have to prioritize getting into the word. God has not, to, this is not just a blueprint for living. I've heard it taught that the Bible is a blueprint for how to live your life. I think that's great. I think it's good wisdom to, to use the word of God as the only blueprint, as the, I'll say it again, as the only blueprint for how to live our lives. We ought to, we ought to look to the scriptures on the way God intended for us to live. But it, it isn't just a blueprint for how to live. It isn't just a blueprint or a guide or navigation system for life. It is the word. It is the, it is Christ himself. Christ Jesus our Lord it says of him that he is the he is the word made flesh so when we are in our bibles daily we are immersing ourselves in the person of Jesus we are immersing ourselves in our God we are immersing ourselves in the spirit we are getting to know in a deep and rich and powerful way who our God is. What also we get out of getting into scripture as we draw near to God through scripture is that we stir our faith. What does the word say? Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. Well, how does faith come about? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. So if you struggle with your faith, if you struggle with unbelief, if you struggle with uh, a measure of, uh, man, I, I don't know if God can, I don't know if God will. If you struggle with, with wayward thoughts that, that don't line up with scripture, it might be time to ask yourself the tough question. Well, when was the last time I got into the word? Because my faith has been defeated, because my devotion has been defeated. Some of you are wandering to the left and to the right, trying to find yourselves, trying to figure out where it went wrong, but you've not looked in the very first place where it all starts to go wrong when you're not in the word. We have pastored people for well over a decade and I can tell you this, every marriage I've counseled, every young adult I've talked to, every young person whose lives are falling apart, every, every, every stage of life, 95% of the time, when things are falling apart in people's lives, the word is the first thing that has, has left and departed their daily disciplines. And so I cannot encourage you again, let us draw near to God not just on a Sunday morning to hear from myself or whoever else is on the platform, but let us get into the daily habit. Let us create rhythms and patterns of what it is to draw near to God and to stir our faith through the scriptures. Don't stir your faith looking outward at signs and wonders. There have, there have been movements upon movements upon movements for centuries where there's been amazing signs and wonders, amazing miracles. We just had one this year, a great move of God. I think it was in Kentucky, I think it was, of all places where there was amazing revival in, in universities and it began to catch like wildfire across different parts of, of the states of, uh, across the country. And all that is amazing. 
And all that is God glorifying. And I believe and I'm praying for more of it. Because we need a God encounter. We need people encountering the power, the fullness of the power of God. But let me tell you something. No amount of signs and wonders. No amount of miracles. No amount of gold dust forming from building. No amount of angels circling on a building can ever replace the power of the word of God in your life. Because signs and wonders and miracles, they don't stir faith. They're encouragement. But I tell you, the only thing that stirs faith, and this is biblical, is the word of God. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so... Let us join to God by continuing to fight to get into the word and prioritize the practice of getting into the scriptures because in the scriptures we know him more. In the scriptures we are encouraged. In the scriptures we are sustained. In the scriptures we are led. The word of God is a lamp unto, feet, unto my feet and to a light unto my path. And so let me encourage you, church. I, I, I pray for you constantly. And I always pray for wisdom on how to lead you and guide you and to give you direction for the way that your life ought to go. But let me tell you something. I am just a man. I am limited in my own knowledge. You can get the answers you need by getting into the word yourself. Allow God to speak to you. We can draw near to God now all by ourselves. So get into the practice. And you know, we're, in fact, we, we, I've been working on it for a while. We started this years ago, but we didn't quite finish it. And I think we ought to finish it this year. We're working on a, putting together a resource that can help you, a packet or, or resource of lists of things to read, lists of commentaries to teach you how to get the most out of the word of God. Because I refuse to have a biblically illiterate church. Because a biblically illiterate church is a church that lacks faith. And a church that lacks faith does not please God. And I want to be a church that pleases God. I want to be a church in the kind of people who God loves to dwell within and linger longer. I believe last Sunday was an amazing and God-breathed Sunday because I shut up in faith. And I believe you shut up in faith. And God is well pleased in faith. And where there is faith, it is opportunity for the miraculous to happen and the impossible to take place. I believe some things were taken care of in people's lives and hearts last week because you shut up in faith. And this is why it's a, it matters so greatly to me that we are the kind of people who prioritize the word. But it also says, let's draw near to God. There are other ways. Your prayer life. What does your prayer life look like? In fact, I'm, I already have it on my list of things to do. Uh, I passed on my notes to Demetrius and gave it to him, but I'm going to preach it sometime soon uh, on, the, on, on prayer. What does it actually mean to pray? I believe, again, it, it has never been more pertinent and more timely for us to be a praying people. Do you know how to pray? Do you know how to seek the Lord? in your own room, in your own valley, in your own darkness. Because let me tell you what, the devil is not convenient in when he attacks. Hardship does not pick and choose according to your schedule when it's appropriate for you. I have found in my life that the moments I've gone through my hardest valley, the moments I've gone through my darkest night, they were not convenient. They didn't work with my schedule. They didn't work with the season of life I was in. I have often found that challenge and disappointment and hardship, they often come at the worst of times when you already feel defeated, when you already feel like you're at your end. And this is why it's important to know how to fight and wage war in the spirit because the Bible tells us our war is not against flesh and blood, but we fight in the spiritual realms. And the best way to fight in the spirit is to know how to pray and to pray, yes, both in English, but to pray in the language of the Holy Spirit, which again empowers us and edifies us. In fact, I love, in fact, I want to do a whole teaching on how to pray in the spirit because if you can develop the, 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 the discipline of praying in the spirit, it says this, that the, when you pray in the spirit, when you pray in the language of the Holy Spirit, you're praying words you don't know but here's what's happening the spirit is praying and interceding on your behalf things that you don't even know you need 
I don't waste a day without praying in the Spirit. Why? Because there are things that are coming against me. There are things that are going on in my life. There are blind spots I have. There are things that I just am not equipped to fight for. But I am so thankful when I pray in the Spirit. The Spirit of God intercedes on my behalf and begins to pray prayers on my behalf of things I need and breakthrough in. And it is so crucial. So I'll do a whole teaching on prayer. But let me ask the question, do you know how to pray? If you don't, we'll send out some stuff. I'm, in fact, I, I, we need to figure this out. At some point, uh, we might put together some resource for you to send as a follow-up to this message on really how to read the Bible, on really how to pray. And again, worship. Let us draw near to God in prayer, in Bible reading, and in worship. I talked a little bit, a little bit about it last week. But I pray that we are a church who knows how to worship. We don't need a fancy band. We don't need the drums. We don't need the keys. We don't need the electric guitars. Now, all that stuff is nice and it's awesome. It allows us to fully express ourselves. There's something about a man or a woman who knows how to play an electric guitar. As they strum, it is their ministry. As they strum, it is their gifting. There is something about it. There's something about people using the gifts that God has given them to really glorify Him and to edify the body. The Bible says this, that the gifts are given to edify the body. That's what the gifts are for. Well, anyway, I've got to stop there. I feel like I've gone, gone too long on that. But anyway, we're going to draw near to God. Number two, it says this, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Why? For he who promised is faithful. He, and here's, here's what I love about even this verse. And the point is number two, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. What I love about this point is that he's not pointing to hope that is found inward. He's not pointing to the hope we develop in an economy. He's not pointing to the hope that we develop in our spouse or in our friendships or our relationships or anything else that we build our hope in. Because the truth is people say they have faith, but really they have hope. And they put their hope in everything but God. I love that he points us to going, hold unswervingly to the hope of a profess because the hope you profess is in the one who is faithful. But if your hope is in anything else, I have bad and good news for you. Your hope is misplaced if it's in anything else and it won't hold because everything in this life will fade away. The only thing that remains is the power and the Holy Spirit that lives within us. And so if your hope is in anything else, and again, no one else can answer this question for you. You ought to ask yourself the question, in whom or in what have I really put my hope? Some of us say we put our hope in God, but the minute there's, there's talk of a recession, or the minute there's a talk of an economic downturn, we panic, our hearts begin to flurry, we begin to consolidate, we begin to look at plans, we begin to stress, we begin to get anxious. And again, it's a, it's a great revealer. Pressure and difficulty are a great revealer of in whom we have put our trust. So let me ask you this question. In, the, in when COVID hit and the world looked like it was going in absolute chaos, did you remain steadfast? like an anchor, because your hope is in him who was not moved by the ever-changing times? Or did you run around like a headless chicken like everybody else because you were worried because your faith and your hope is in everything else but Christ? So let me encourage you like the author encouraged these people. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess if it's in Jesus, because he, if it's in Jesus, he who promised is faithful. I've got to hurry up because I'm running out of time. I want to honor you this morning. And so, and he goes on to say, isn't this weird when I will land this plane this morning? And it says, let us not give up meeting together. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. You know, for us as a church, number three, point number three, do not give up meeting together. You know, for us as a church, 
when I thought about some of the key markers of what I wanted our church to be known for. I wanted our church to be known for prayer. I wanted our church to be known as a worshiping church. I wanted our church to be known as a biblically literate church. I wanted our church to be known as a soul winning and outward focused church. We will never be a navel gazing church. But as part of that, I deeply desired that we would be a church that was a groups church, a gathering together church, that nothing would stop us, that we would never be the kind of people who church and the gathering together of the saints is an afterthought. I pray we prioritize it because we understand that the value of our church is not found on who is on front of this camera. The value of our church is not found on who's on our platforms. The value of our church is not found in the big or key donors. The value in our church is found in our church. It's found in the gathering of our church because let me tell you something, there is a gift on your life, Chloe, that we need. There is a gift on your life, Holly, that we need. Don, there is a gift and there is a strength about you that our church needs. Charles, there is something that happens in our room when we get to get, get, gather together when you're around. Christina, my God, you're a gift. You're a saint and the Lord works powerfully through you. Irie, the way you love the Lord, the way in which you worship, the way in which you offer your whole life unto the Lord as a sacrifice. We need it, it, it teaches us. Every one of Larissa, you're a gift to us, my Lord. Uh, Miss Flowers, we don't see you as much as I'd like. But my God, when we get to see you, there is something that you bring when you walk into the house of God. Our church is rich. Our church is robust. Our church is marvelous. Our church is brilliant. Not because of what happens up here, but because of you, the people that make up our church. We are all part of the body of Christ and we suffer when we don't prioritize gathering together because when we're missing you, uh, Marissa, when we're missing you, Rosie, when we're missing you, uh, Dijanae, when we're missing you, Tim, there's something that we are missing uh, and that, that we, we lack when we aren't together in the room together. So let us prioritize gathering together. Why? Because it's encouraging. We strengthen each other. We, are allow, we, we allow each other to go, hey, I'm doing a tough and to have people around you go, hey, we've been there and we'll stand with you in prayer. We'll walk through the valley with you. The beauty of community, the beauty of a body is that we are a body. We are joined together as Christ as our head. And none of us should ever have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death alone. Why? Because one, he is with you, but also two, the body is with you. We will only ever be as good as a church as our relationships are and our commitment to gathering together and our commitment to one another is. Whether you like it or not, we're tethered together now because we're the body of Christ. When you got saved, it wasn't just an individual salvation. When you got saved, you were adopted into the family of God. And now your life is tethered to my life. And my life is tethered to yours. And when you weep, I weep. When you rejoice, I rejoice. That is the beauty of the body of Christ. And we stir one other on towards love and good deeds. And I pray that whenever the kind of church who only wait until the pastor, the pastor on the pulpit begins to challenge our church on some things. I love that we're the kind of people who love each other enough to look each other in the eye, in the eye and tell each other what we need to hear. Why? Because we are spurring each other on towards love and good deed. And we will never be the kind of church who are gathered together around myself or gathered together around the person in the pulpit. Why? Because I'm only a man and I am only can only be in certain places bump at so many times. But I love that when we truly are a body, we can look to our left and look to our right and know that if this person doesn't answer, this person will answer. If pastor or whoever the wreck is away, and I, again, I hate that so much, but if, if anyone is away, I know that I've got a community of believers. I've got a family of faith in the faith who will strengthen me and encourage me and lead me towards all the things that God has for me.
And he finishes like this. And this is how I want to finish this morning. He says this. He gives us a prescriptive point one, point two, point three. Let us draw near to God. Let us hold on soberly to hope. Let us not forsake gathering together. And he finishes here as he brings it full circle back to Jesus. And he says this, remember those early days after you received the light, that's Jesus. When you endured in great conflict and full of sufferings, sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood by side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property. Here's why, here's why, here's what I want to finish. Because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. It comes back to what I talked about on Resurrection Sunday. As resurrection people, you take away the resurrection, you take away pretty much the large majority of our faith. But we, as resurrection people, can live with an eternal mindset because we know that they can strip me of my, my, my natural possessions. They can strip me of my home. They can strip me of my dignity. They can strip me of my wealth. They can strip me of my name, but they cannot take the great and lasting and better possessions that are stored up in heaven for me with my father. Why? Because we are resurrection people. And he finishes by saying this, I know it's been hard. I know you've had to endure. I know that there are many trials that come at you, but do not throw away your confidence because you will be richly rewarded. Do not shrink back like those who will soon face death, but let us persevere and let us endure and let us lean in and remain in faith as those who are being saved. I said what I said. When I said I'm giving my life to Jesus, I meant it. When I said that I belong to him, I meant it. When I said I shall remain faithful, I meant it. When I said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, I meant it. When I said that Jesus, you are Lord, I meant it. When I said that through thick and thin, I would stick with him, I meant it. When I said I am his and he is mine, I meant it. Can we be the kind of people who in the face of adversity, in the face of challenges that life may bring and throw at you, that would be the kind of people who when we are tempted to turn away, when we are tempted to, to, to even remotely think that the cost of following Jesus isn't worth it, that we would remind ourselves, I said what I said because he has said what he has said and he who promised is faithful. Thus endeth the word.